working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krauss, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Megan Jane. In the short time this Virginia native has been in Nashville, Tennessee, she has made significant inroads in Music City with no end in sight. After her time at the Berklee College of Music, Megan spent over a decade in Southern California between San Diego and L.A. The experience in these towns prepared her for the eventual move to Nashville, backing up singer-songwriters as well as being a driving and creative force for many full band situations. Aside from pickup gigs and sessions, Megan stays busy splitting her time between drumming for up-and-coming singer-songwriter Hannah Dasher, as well as drumming with the band Sidepiece, described as Nashville's fiercest collection of all female musicians. As always, you can find us at workingdrummer.net to find out more information about this episode and all the episodes that we've done so far in the last three and a half years. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us now on YouTube. We are slowly building our library of past episodes. When you're on iTunes, please subscribe. This helps us grow. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. If you use the hashtag WorkingDrummer, we'll include you on Instagram and our stories. If you want to support what Zach and I are doing here at the Working Drummer Podcast, there's a couple ways that you can do that. On the homepage of our website, WorkingDrummer.net, you can find a button for PayPal. There's also a button that is a link to our Patreon page. Patreon is an easy and convenient way to support the podcast on a regular basis. Donations start at a dollar and you have access to the bonus material that we're providing on a monthly basis from past guests. As always, any donation in any amount is greatly appreciated. Here's our bi-weekly check-in with Arjuna Contreras as he makes the move from Texas to Nashville. Hey, Matt. How's it going, man? Hey, good, man. How are you? I'm doing good, doing uh, a little better than the last time I talked to you. I think I was sick last time. I'm still uh, not 100%, but I'm getting closer. That's good. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. I'm on an antibiotic now, so it's pretty much like wiping out everything that was unholy. Everything that was unholy in me. (laughs) And probably a few few things that were holy. That's getting rid of that, too. (laughs) Along with it, yeah. (laughs) Well, man, I'm I'm sorry to hear, but I'm glad that you're on the mend. Where are you and what are you doing? Well, I'm in Whitefish, Montana today, which is actually absolutely beautiful up here. I I was here last year as well. And... Mm. um, it was a little bit more towards the winter when we were here last time, but it is beautiful out here. And of That's course, right. like it's, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the area, but it, we're really close to Glacier National Park. I am very familiar with the area, man. I love it. Yeah. It's my favorite part of the world. Yeah. So yeah, it's, man, it's gorgeous. I'm going to get out and do some walking today. We're staying about a mile from the, uh, the venue. So going to walk there for sound check in a few minutes here and walk back afterwards and uh, try to get got my Fitbit on, try to get some steps in. But uh, but yeah, it's like 75 degrees here. It feels, feels beautiful. Last time we were here, it was snowing, mm-hmm. so, um, which was also really pretty, but it was super cold. I bet. Um, yeah, so you are 
in one of my favorite places in the world. And um, <laughs> great coffee shops. Make sure there is a oh gosh, there's a there's a wild berry that's really popular. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of mm. it. Um, a, a very specific. You'll see it all over. They they have lattes flavored after this berry. Um, fudge. Oh really? Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely have to try one of those today. Yeah, like you, you you'll be like, oh, that's what he's talking about. That it's everywhere. It's like purple. It's it's you know, um, man, you're in a good place to get healthy. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the air also just feels so good up here. Like yeah, um, yeah. You know, I say up here. I don't think we're not that. Our elevation isn't that much. I think it's. I, I think I read that it's like around three thousand or something. But, it's not bad. Um, not noticeable. No. Yeah, I mean, we were in Colorado, you know, for the last few days or whatever, and mm-hmm. you know, and uh, also Casper, Wyoming. I think was up pretty high. Also, right. Um, well, so where are you at in the in the itinerary? Are you in the middle of this uh, tour, of this run here? We're still towards the beginning, actually. Um, I think this is our fifth show. Um, this tonight will either be our fifth or sixth show out of, I think we have 22 on this run. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them are in Canada. We're making our way up to Canada. Most of the shows are in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we're in Spokane tomorrow and then, uh, Bellingham, Washington on Friday. And then, yeah. And then Saturday we're in Vancouver and then I think we have 11 or 12 shows in, in Canada. And uh, yeah. then we dip back down to the states, like through Minnesota. I think and, you know we're doing. Um, I think at that point we only have like three shows left in the tour: like Minneapolis, and um, we usually play First Avenue in Minneapolis, which obviously is a blast. There's a lot of history at that venue, but I think we're playing there in December, so we're at a different venue okay. um, this time. And then we're playing that. Um, Summerfest in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which I'm really stoked about because, like, I used to go to it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's this music festival that lasts two weeks up there, and like every there's like a ton of stages, and every it's like, oh, I'm going to see Sticks at 4 p.m. and then I'm going to see um, <laughs> Foreigner at seven, and then the Brian Setzer Orchestra is playing the next day at 11, uh, you know, just like this crazy that you see so many like really big, you know, bands, um, just on like, on like ground level stages, you know, like, uh, well, you know, proper festival stages, but not like, you know, they're not like sheds. Well, there is a shed there and each night, like there's right. But uh, you know, like someone, you're just closer than normal there each night. Yeah. yeah. You're closer than normal. Yeah. So it's just, it was a super fun festival. And I always dreamed as a kid of, of playing, you know, one of the big stages there. And so on June 30th, that dream will come true, you know, for the first time, you know, like I'll be in a, playing in a band that's headlining, you know, one of those big stages. So, and I, you know, I have like about 25 family members there because I grew up in that area, you know, like it's about a half an hour from the town that I grew up in. So that's amazing. Those are always fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was saying, I've been dreamt about it forever. And, uh, you know, so that that's pretty much the, towards the end of the tour. We have like I think a, we have a show in in like Little Rock, Arkansas, and then we'll we'll be back in Dallas on July third. Uh, oh, so okay. we're out. You know, like we're still still kind of towards the towards the beginning of this deal. Hey, it's Huckleberry. 
Huckleberry. Okay. Huckleberry. People are like, "What is he talking about?" It uh, <laughs> depends on how I edit this. Today, today I will I will search out and drink a Huckleberry latte. Huckleberry latte, man, you've got to and and, and send me a picture or something. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna post it on I'm gonna post it on Instagram and yeah. tag you in it. Thank you. Because <laughs> that road gig that road gig that I left is the one that used to play out there all the time. So I haven't been out there in a long okay. time. So I'm oh, super really? okay. yeah, I'm super uh-huh. jealous. Man, okay, well get get ready for that. Uh, get ready for that Instagram post. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to drink, Dad. Why are you licking your phone? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet man. So hey, so that month off. When does that come up? Just give us a real quick. Uh, timeline of when yeah. that happens. Yeah, as I think I'm off as of July 8th when we get back from that California show. And um, I'm going to be in Nashville for, for at least a, a good couple weeks of that time. I'm, I'm definitely going to be there for Summer Nam, like uh, between the, the week of, I think Summer Nam is like the 18th through the 20th. So I'll be out there that week. Okay. Well, here's what I think I want to do. Um, we're we're rounding out our year of following you, and I think we want to. Um, I think I want to come back to you and and pick up. Uh, we'll have this on our episode tomorrow, or today, depending on when you're listening to this, obviously. And um, Zach will have this on his episode next week. And then I think that um, when you're coming off the road in the beginning of June, like that first or second week, let's check in with you then. And see how things okay. are happening and what your plans are for Nashville. And um, so we'll get we'll get caught up with how the tour went, how awesome Canada was, and uh, what your plans are for in town. Does it sound like a plan? Yeah, it sounds great. Awesome, man. Listen, man, get well. <laughs> thoughts and prayers, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> thoughts and prayers and a little science. How about that? Whatever, just throw. Yeah, it, throw I mean, yeah let's, let's let's not let's not forget the science. Let's <laughs> throw everything. <laughs> throw everything at this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, good to hear from you. Go get yourself a huckleberry latte, and uh, that'll be the uh, that'll be the elixir that helps you. That'll, that, that, what if that's the missing puzzle? Like, what if I, I drink that and all of a sudden I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm Superman? Like, the, <laughs> the sinus the sinus is clear up, the cough is gone, everything. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, dude. Hey, sounds good, man. Be safe. Will do, man. Great talking to you, brother. Right, see you, man. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. So here you go. Here's my conversation with Megan Jane. I want to ask you about the Opry. Oh, yeah. So that was cool when I saw you post that. I'm like, oh, perfect timing. Yeah. That was that was crazy. It just happened very last minute, like three days before. And this was in the middle of CMA Fest. And I was just mm-hmm. like, uh Okay, yes, of course, duh. Yeah. And then you kind of have to I had to get myself into that mental space of this is happening mm-hmm. and don't shit the bed. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. It was a really great experience yeah. to have. I mean, it's such a privilege. Yeah, and it was was it at the Ryman or was it at the Opry House? It was at the Opry House. Okay. Um Yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, I was I was shitting my pants. Um and it, it was with a, a new artist I've been playing with, Lauren Jenkins. Yeah. Um, and this is her second time playing the Opry. Nice. So, I mean, it was great. Uh, we, I'm trying to even think of where to start. Because, like, I'm getting all jittery even thinking about it still. Mm-hmm. It was such a, a surreal experience. Um, but it was great. The Opry band, I mean, they're obviously pro 
to the limit. Yeah. Uh, we rehearsed with them. And then Mark Beckett, he just, he helped me figure out exactly what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And he was so sweet and so kind. And he was like, I've been doing this for 10 years and I still get nervous. It's going to be okay. That probably was the one thing that you're just like, that's all I needed to hear. Yeah. It's like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm not a total spaz for, for freaking out right now. <laughs> but he was great. He was like, you know, he showed me the mixer. He showed me where to plug in my click if I needed it. He was super helpful. He was really great. And then after we finished playing, I was kind of in this daze and I was trying to exit the stage the wrong way. And I ran right into Eddie Bears <laughs> and he like came up and like shook my hand and then yeah. I shit my pants again. So yeah. Uh, two of the sweetest guys right there. I yeah. mean, Mark and Eddie, um, I didn't really know. I mean, I knew of those guys, but uh, but having them on the podcast and get a friend that knows Mark. Is that him playing tambourine behind yeah. you? Yeah, he That's was awesome. right behind me. He was like, I'm just going to do some percussion. You know, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I wasn't even cognizant of it in the moment. I was just so focused on not messing up. And trying to enjoy the moment, right? which is like such a, a delicate balance of focus on what you're doing, but really take in and look up and realize that you're sharing this experience with the people on stage and the people that are in the audience. Mm-hmm. And by the second song, like I was able to do that. Did they, uh, did they have a screen, like a, a drum shield? No. No, no. Okay. Just like the, the kit is so massive. And yeah. I'm, I'm so little, like everything, was just, it was very awkward to kind of like walk into, but I have some really great friends that set me up for success. They were like, Mark plays open-handed. So the ride is going to be on your left. Uh-huh. And there's also another ride all the way on the right. Use yeah. the one on the left. Okay. And kind of let me know the setup a little bit. Yeah. So I was prepared. I, I don't think that that's too awkward for a lot of us. Cause you know, we're just used to that crossover yeah. thing for a lot of us. So yeah, for me, it's yeah. just like any information I could get, I was mm-hmm. going to take. And was it, was it ears where you're using a monitor? I used ears. Okay. On that one. Right. I, I brought my own ears and just used his mix. And then there's like a separate, uh, guest click that you can adjust. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was, it was it was great. I, I think you know you never know what sort of sound you're going to get until it's happening. Yeah. And he he wasn't lying. He said I like my mix really loud, and it was really loud. Um, but it felt really good. And good. the Randy, the band leader, was awesome at just helping me, making me feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Did you? say anything to yourself i know mark had that wonderful thing that he said to you right um was there anything that gave you the tools to perform to keep the anxiety from interfering um i think it's a a lot of emotional work that i've done over the past two years like uh i'll have a mantra Mm. of just like being present, just reminding myself to be exactly where I am. Because when you get caught in your head and caught in a scenario that's not going exactly how you want, yeah. it kind of takes you out of the moment. Uh-huh. And so you can't correct it. You're just so focused on what's going wrong yes, um, that you can't see a way to make it go right. So the first song that we started playing uh, at the Opry, like – 
I'm so excited. I'm obviously like ahead of the click. Uh-huh. And I have to pull back and just breathe. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that I say to myself is, I belong here. Mm. That's the thing that will calm me down. It's, you know, whatever amount of work that you've done, it's like, I know I'm prepared. So just trust the work. Yeah. And don't panic. Just enjoy the moment. Because this specific moment won't happen again. You don't get another first time at the Opry. Yeah. So enjoy it and just be present. Right. And remember that you're sharing this with other people. And that's the moment that I looked at Ellen, the guitar player, and she just smiled right at me and brought me right back to where I needed to be. Yes. That's so important. I I love that because I think that I feel so selfish when the feelings and the frustrations that I, the nervousness that sabotages me Mm -hmm. affects the performance that's happening on stage. Right. And the fact that you say, you're sharing this moment and it's, it it, it takes you out of your space. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a, uh, I might have mentioned this in the past, but I, I actually looked up the quote because I wanted to talk to you about this to mm-hmm. make sure that I had it correct. So Billy Ward had a book called Inside Out. It was a collection of articles he did for Modern Drummer. And I've read this thing a handful of times. I just, I just love it, the philosophy of what he does. But he talks about a lesson that he had with Elvin Jones. And, and Billy asked Elvin, he says, he asked him why sometimes I would play well and other times I would just suck. And he called it I thoughts. Uh, in other words, when you're playing and any sentence that starts with I comes in your head like I'm doing great or I'm going to play a fill here, you're in trouble. Elvin told him, if you're thinking that way, you're not playing music. Right. And the idea of kind of thinking, it just goes along with that idea that you're thinking of yourself mm-hmm. and you're not being cognizant of the other players. You're listening too much to your playing. You're maybe too aware of your own thoughts, your own. Right. And it's like, what about the joy that your singer is bringing to the table? And she's having this moment and you're there to support what's happening. And what is the rhythm guitar player doing that may lend it, the 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 groove to kind of get you out of the funk. Right. Are you listening enough to that player? Right. You know, um, that's a great quote. Yeah, it, it, a, a guitar player friend of mine. Uh, I loaned him the book, and then every time we play, he he turned around and he go, "No, I thought." <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, and also having someone who knows you and how you operate Mm -hmm. and can see if you kind of like going that direction or like see you struggling knowing how to pull you out of it you know like having that sort of like teamwork of being like i can lift you up now yeah i think is is really important yeah um the way that i think about it i I had this conversation with someone a couple weeks ago i feel like drums it's not a, a solitary instrument you know for it to make sense, mm-hmm. you need everybody else. I mean, me personally, I don't want to just watch someone wank off like mm-hmm. on the drums. Mm-hmm. I want it to make I want it to make sense in the context of a band. Yeah. So if you're conscious about what everyone else is doing and how you relate to that, you know, 
that's how you be present. That's what I love is just the the relationship that happens. Yeah, yeah. I think again, it's just it's removing yourself from the equation and not being so selfish. For, for me, I'm speaking to myself. Like, just shut the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> it's not about you today. Right. You know, you're there, and it's it's a privilege to be working. First of all, to be working. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Period. <laughs> yes. And if you've found the people that you like to work with, then it is even much more so of a blessing to be like, I'm here. These people want to play with me, too. Yeah. So just get the fuck out of your head and play. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful thing. There's um, a book that uh, Dave Elich had recommended on some podcasts. I think it's called The Mental Game of Tennis. Yeah. Changed my life because okay. I was going through like a pretty big rut with that uh, being hyper aware of my body to the point where it wouldn't do anything that I wanted it to do. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is wrong with my right foot? Why can't, why, why is it seizing up? Why is my whole leg just so tense? Yeah. And that book provided such a great uh, sort of, um, uh, way to explain what was happening in my mind and how it was affecting my body. Yeah. And learning yeah. how to separate the two. Yes. And what's the name of that book? I think it's The Mental Game of Tennis. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the it's, it's based on a, a guy who teaches tennis. He's a pro tennis player, yeah. but it's applicable to anything where you're in like a physical job mm -hmm. or you're having to use your body in any way and it was super helpful to me i had this conversation with uh kevin rapillo like a couple months ago yeah. we were talking about the mental game of tennis because he also plays tennis yeah about how you know the older you get like you get further away from that joy that you were talking about like when you're yes you're a kid like you're just reckless and you just go for it mm -hmm. and as you get older and you kind of have a better awareness of what's on the line. And you also have more knowledge. Yeah. And you give a shit. Yeah. You should give a shit about <laughs> what you're doing. Yes. Um, it feels like you have a lot more to lose. So it's like you have to just consciously make an effort to tap into that joy mm -hmm. and make it part of it. Yeah. Even on a shitty day, especially on a shitty day. Just yeah. Like, you get yeah. to play music. side piece yeah plays pretty consistently yeah we i mean the whole band it, it happened accidentally oh. very accidentally and then it kind of turned into this whole sort of mission of uh wanting to get more women on stage or just having like a platform where they can come and play downtown mm -hmm. if they're an instrumentalist or a singer mm -hmm. um so the band is me Annie Clements, Kata Hay, and Megan Mullins. And then, depending on who's in town, we'll sub out to another player. Okay. Um, but we just have fun. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just so much fun to play on stage and then also have a, a place for other women to come. Like, if you're new to town... Or okay. it's just a way to network or get on stage, you know. Yeah. It's it's great. Um, my main gig is with Hannah Dasher. Okay. Who's a, a country singer. Yeah. And she's a pistol. 
she's, she's great. She keeps me on my toes. Nice. And I've been with her for almost four years. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, does she stay pretty busy? Is there much touring? Um, right now, she's about to start picking up in uh, her dates. Like, she, she got signed, and so that sort of thing is just starting to ramp up. Like, CMA Fest is, like, the beginning part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so by next year, she'll be pretty busy. Right now, it's, like, four gigs a month, so it's not... It's not a lot, so I can play with other people, like yeah. Lauren, Inside Peace, and yeah, a lot yeah. of other people. Cool. Uh, Tim Denbo uh, mentioned great. you guys, and, and uh, he plays with Matt Gray Band from time to time. And mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, cool!" And they say you guys are busy and doing. Yeah, it's a special thing. Like the Side Piece project, I feel like you know, us as like the core band kind of needed it to be rejuvenated in a different way, um, but also to just have a hand in helping other female players mm-hmm. around town. Yeah. You know? And do you feel like it, that's helped? Do you feel like that's like the mission is being accomplished? Uh, is there more work that needs to be done? Is there other ideas to kind of expand that network um, that's presenting I, itself? I feel like just, you know, the great... It's there's so many different layers to this. The great thing is, is on Broadway, like there's so many people that are from other parts of the country, yeah, that have never seen a female on stage before, besides the singer, right? So seeing an entire band of women just like blows their mind, mm-hmm. and um, so that's been really great, like seeing that response and people just reacting to it, mm-hmm. um, but. People are people are noticing it around town yeah. and talking about it and wanting to be a part of it, which is the whole point. It's to be inclusive. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, Nashville is a hard town. If you're a man or you're a woman, yeah, it's a it's a pretty competitive town. So having a space where um, other women can come and play, I think, is really important. Nice. How long have you been in town? Uh, six years, so not that long. Okay, okay. Um, and you're originally from Virginia. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Did you grow up on a walnut farm? Did I, I read that? Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> it's it's a tree farm. Tree or, farm. Yeah, uh, so not like an active, like, animal farm or anything like okay. that. <laughs> um, and my parents are still there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then how did drums enter your world and and also i should say you also play other instruments guitar and, yeah know. i okay to full disclosure since yeah. moving to nashville i'm just like i'm giving up on guitar there's too many great players around here and there's yeah. just not enough time to be proficient at all of them it it, it, it i mean like I, I think if in a very competitive town you kind of have to pick your poison and be like, yeah. this is where I need to concentrate. I mean, there's obviously a few people that can do those crazy things, but uh, yeah. Jerry Rowe. Um, yeah, it's a freak of nature. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, I kind of had that similar thing. Not that I played guitar with any proficiency, but it was interesting that drums just became more of a focus when I came into this environment. I yeah. That was the experience you had. Yeah, I mean, I think... I was always I always gravitated towards drums. Uh, I don't even know how 
I got interested in music. My my entire family is all doctors. <laughs> okay. And so I I don't know where I first saw a drum set, but like immediately I took my mom's pots and pans and put saran wrap and tape on them and just ruined them. Um, but the first concert I ever saw was Kathy Matea. Oh wow! And I just loved how the drums looked under the lights yeah. and like the whole experience. And I was like, how I feel right now is how I want to make other people feel. Yeah. And then just my parents had a guitar in their attic, and I just would like pluck on it and like not knowing what I was doing and it just never went away mm-hmm. and I was really mm-hmm. lucky my parents encouraged me to figure it out and make a lot of terrible noise for many many years nice um, and it just it just stuck nice and I, I know you like you took lessons when you you know snare drum and different things like that but I mean like really formal or anything like with a teacher not until I went to Berkeley okay and uh that was, I think, a major disadvantage to me. Like, I was self-taught pretty yeah. much right and up until my senior year in high school because I needed to have recommendations from a teacher. Uh-huh. Um, and so then getting thrown into that environment, I was just like, this isn't how I learn. Mm. Like, this is mm-hmm. not how I, how I want to do this. Yeah. Um, and then after I left Berkeley... The first lesson, I would consider my first formal lesson that I had for 15 years was with Kevin Murphy. Oh, wow. And he just, like, blew my mind. (laughs) It was great. Awesome. I wish I had had a teacher like that, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And then, so anything about Berkeley, like a takeaway, you were there for a couple years Mm -hmm. that... Just maybe anybody that's considering it, or like, what was your experience? Was it just? I know it was. It was a completely different thing. Yeah, way of learning. Um, my first year, I I got into Berkeley on guitar, um, and I think the main thing that I got out of it was figuring out how I learn best. Okay, and that's not in a classroom. Yeah, for me, it didn't work well. Uh, it was actually going out and playing gigs and having that real life experience mm-hmm. and having conversations with people. Like if I, I had a question, like, what what was that fill you just did? Can mm-hmm. you break it down for me? Mm-hmm. That was way more useful to me than the school setting. Yeah. So I think it's like if you know how you learn and you're great in a classroom and you have the money to pay for Berkeley or get scholarships. Yeah try it why not yeah i know that works but for many people but i mean i think there is an element that cannot be introduced in the classroom right there's so many times when uh hey did we get a guitar player for this gig yeah he's um he's a belmont grad he just graduated and i'm like okay that's great. He went there. I'm sure that's good. Mm-hmm. But if his head is still in the books, then I've had multiple experiences. And I know I was in the same place when I was that age. Yeah. Uh, having Going to music school and stuff. Where you, it's just a different thing. You're being, I mean, I've. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm being schooled every single day that I'm in this town. Absolutely. And um, and there's something about that real world experience. And even my professors early on, they knew. They're like, 
this was this is one they're like seniors you're all going to be graduating keep in mind next year i'm your competition because i'm playing the same gigs that you are oh wow uh, and 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 it was true mm-hmm. i was really fortunate to be in a school where in a, in a smaller music community than nashville or probably even boston where the students and the professors were all playing gigs you know the teachers were out you know and and then there was a couple of them i had was fortunate enough to be in the band with after school and learn almost more on the gig yeah. than i did in school so uh, i think what i'm pulling out from this is is that it's important that you don't just rely on school like go out if you're in school you're studying go out see bands st- be in a band or work with other musicians yeah. outside of school so you know how to read a room, read other musicians, interact and stuff right. like that. You know, you can play all this crazy stuff. You know, I probably had more chops back then. Mm-hmm. But man, I can read a singer yeah. like a motherfucker because I've seen it. I know right when they're getting ready, they 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 skipped the first verse and they the the intro is going twice as long because they can't remember the words and they walk up to the microphone like okay here we go bar seven he's gonna come in right I know that now mm-hmm. you know that's the gold right there <laughs> that will keep you employed yes is learning how to read people yeah yeah and yeah. adjust it's like not how many notes you can play as fast as you can fucking play them yes there's a place for that. But I feel like real life is learning how to adjust quickly and naturally. Then I think to take the ego out of it, too, is like, you don't have to be right, you know, because it's not your job to be right. It's your job to support. Yeah. Travis McNabb has a story about Keltner going in and playing. It's 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 on his episode. You can listen to it. But like he, he was there watching Keltner play the first pass and then the producer, the executive producer, the engineer, all these people. I know this story, yeah. Yeah, they, they give him like seven different versions and he plays them all. And then, then one of the guys goes, I've got it. Do it like this. And it's the same way he played it the first time. Mm-hmm. And Keltner goes, okay, sure. And he plays it through. He comes into the control room. Everyone's high-fiving each other. And, they, and, and Keltner says, hey, that's a great, that was a great idea. And he doesn't say, you know, I did that the first pass. Or, you know, that was my idea originally. He just said, he said to the person that thought of, re- or remembered that or whatever, yeah. una- unaware that it was Keltner's idea, he just said, hey, that was a great idea. No ego, mm-hmm. no, just Yoda, boop, out the room. Mm-hmm. The- <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's such a great story. Yeah. And it, I'm thinking, if he can do that. I can do that. Yeah. It's nothing to him. <laughs> no. It was nothing. Then you ended up in San Diego. Yes. So I did kind of like a a big circle. The way that I see my circle is like Virginia, Boston. I was in L.A. for two years and then moved to San Diego. And I was there for about eight years, Mm -hmm. eight or ten years, and then to Nashville. Um, But San Diego was a good place. I feel like that was where I kind of cut my teeth before coming here. And then really started cutting my teeth in Nashville. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it was a, a, just a really great community to start learning and working in. It's, it's, and it's the weather and everything. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What, what kind of experiences? Like, can you give an example of some things that you 
utilize here in Nashville? Um, I think the, uh, between L.A. and San Diego, that's where I really started working with songwriters, which I think yeah. had a massive impact on how I play drums now, um, learning how to listen and play for the song and be su- supportive of the vocal. Um, this one L.A. band that I idolized for a really long time, Saucy Monkey, I got the privilege of playing with them for a couple years. And Cynthia, one of the lead singers, she's just a hard ass. Mm. And she'd be like, your tempo sucks. Your <laughs> drums sound like paper. Like, very strong opinions and ideas of how things should sound. And she really helped me listen better. And exactly, I think what we were talking about before is mm-hmm. not focus so much on just what I'm doing, but how it interacts with everything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and San Diego in general, there's a lot of singer-songwriters mm-hmm. down there. Mm-hmm. So that's the majority of what I did. And okay. um, it was just a great learning experience for me. I can't imagine anything better to prepare you for Nashville, being, yeah. you know, working with singer songwriters. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And playing small rooms where your dynamics matter. Yeah. Like, you can't just go and just bash the shit out of the drums. You have to play to the size of room that you're in and how close you are to other band members. You have to be sensitive. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten comments here in Nashville on my dynamics. Mm-hmm. And I learned that in San Diego. Yeah. So a couple things. the uh, Some of the YouTube clips that I've seen you play, definitely, I like. I feel the supportive role. I feel like you're just laying this down for the band to just like really go. And it sounds great. Thank you. Great feel, great pocket, everything. I also see, like, speaking of Jim Keltner... <laughs> The you know the the plastics with with a shaker here there or I see sometimes you've got um, stuff on the cymbals you, you maybe have um, a dampening on different drums. When you walk into a space, are you kind of adjusting that for the artist for the the room? I mean, where does that come from? As opposed to here's my drums, go. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's both, I think whatever sort of arsenal of things I bring, it's to kind of create that sound for that particular person Mm -hmm. and that room, um, like redneck, this stage is so small and everyone's so close together. Yeah. Like the bass player, their ears right by my crash symbol. So I'm, I don't want to be, you know, making their ears bleed all night. Yeah. Um, and also I can't hear. Like I can't, I can't actually hear anyone else if I'm playing too loud. Yeah. So it's like I'm creating my own mix for the room. Gotcha. Essentially, um, and I think that just came from experience. And as far as like the the little trinkets and various percussive things, you know, definitely Jim Keltner had a big impact on that. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the biggest is Marco Giovino which was the reason I moved to Nashville in the first place. Okay. Um, He played with Buddy Miller for a really long time and Robert Plant and Band of Joy. And his, like, sonic palette is just so impressive to me. Like, he just opened my mind to, you know, what sound, like, where can this fit 
in here, mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. things organic when we're kind of inundated in a world of electronic samples? Like, how do we create something organic? And I just, I loved it and I latched onto it. So I steal, I steal his ideas and Jim's ideas and yeah. try and implement them as much as I can. And I think I know this is probably a rhetorical question, but what's been the reaction? My favorite is uh, I have a baking sheet that I use, like a $1 baking sheet, and I put some goat hooves on it. And people are like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and then I play it, and they're like, holy shit, that is awesome. And it's like, you know, it's like an 808 snare. Yeah. But I don't have to plug anything in. Yeah. If it breaks, I will buy another $1 pan. Yeah. Um, and people react to it. They're just, you know, I like seeing the puzzled look mm-hmm. and then like the light bulb goes off and yeah. like, okay, I get it yeah. and I appreciate it. So uh, some friends of the podcast have bald man percussion and they've got the them. junk hat. And I think what's been really cool about electronics introducing this new sonic palette, that was a thing, but I, I feel like the opportunity to bring these other things in, not only you're creating like your sound, mm-hmm. um, you're showing the the people on stage or the person you're working for this element of creativity and, and care. I think it also just looks cool mm-hmm. and it's entertaining. I may be wrong about this, but I feel like the whole SBDX thing is kind of going away. I know on big tours it's not, Right. But um, to see somebody banging on a pad as opposed to other things, I don't know. Yeah. I I would rather see that with somebody with a whole litany of (laughs) kitchenware (laughs) and stuff. Uh, Eric Darkin, who's a percussionist in town, who I want to get on the podcast, I hear that he walks up and down the aisles of uh, Home Depot with a drumstick. And bangs on things. And, That's awesome. And then finds it and then uses it on hit records. That's amazing. Yeah. That's that's brilliant. It makes me so happy. <laughs> I don't know why. It just it makes me really happy to see people doing it organically. And just I yeah. think it's just another outlet to be creative. Yeah. I mean, we all do it. We grew up, you know, when you get the bug and you're I mean, I don't know how many times my wife said, Stop, you know, I'm banging on that thing. Oh, listen to that, you know, you know, all those things. When you're at Home Depot and you're looking at a washer and dryer, you know, what's the first thing you open the door? You're just like, boom, mm-hmm. you're trying to eat, like, oh, listen to that resonance on that. <laughs> that yeah. would be perfect for this. <laughs> yeah. Just it, do it for real. Yeah. Um, there's this documentary, uh, a Feist documentary, I think it's called Look at What the Light Can Do. Okay. And so they're showing some of the behind the scenes when they're recording. And I love this one scene where they're, recording it's like a bowl of leaves that someone's just kind of crinkling and then another one is like a bowl of cereal that they're swirling around and it's like these layers and textures are in the music and you'd have no idea but it's so specific it's not i i just love that i love the the thought and the care and the intention like that went into that you know what's perfect for this some crinkling leaves I think that that 
it's it's really important to I know we kind of joke around where we're kind of banging on things and hitting things and listening to a you know a car door and like oh that's kind of neat and and your your drummer brain goes there, but in an age where well in an age where we're doing home studios but in it, 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 that doesn't even really matter when you're called upon to be the drummer in a session. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's very strict direction. Sometimes there's no direction whatsoever. But either way, you're hired to be the drummer. Mm-hmm. Even if the producer can play drums, there's a reason why you were called there. Yeah. And one of the reasons you were called there is not only because you can play, but also because you have to make choices. Right. And sonic choices. So which of these six tambourines do you use? <laughs> You know, which of these six snare drums do you use on this song? Yeah. But maybe it goes beyond that, and you're like, you know what? I have this idea. And, like, you grab the bowl with the leaves and because mm-hmm. you, you're, you're conscious of that kind of thing. And I think that those kinds of things, at the end of the day, the producer is going to go, I'm so glad I hired that drummer. Right. You know? Just being extremely open-minded. Yeah. And, you know, not having a, necessarily a specific formula mm-hmm. of, like, this is what I'm going to do. Like, have a general idea, but just really listening to a song and see what it brings out in you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it I, I just, I have to admit, like, again, like, rushing by and seeing you in the window and, like, seeing the a chain on the, on the, or seeing the videos, I'm like, man, I used to do more of that. Especially mm-hmm. when I was doing songwriter stuff, and it's like that's cool. Yeah, I need to do that more because it's it's such a simple thing that you're just being aware, you know, um, just be more than more than playing, more than chops. It's like, dude, throw a fat snare, throw a towel on this. Yeah, you know, tr- extra piece of tape on that ride symbol. Yeah, you know, don't be afraid to do that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's just fun. Yeah. I feel like I'm in a toy box, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, sometimes things don't stick and they don't work. No. But, I mean, that's part of the fun. That's part of the joy for me is just, you know, I feel like I'm back in my parents' kitchen just pulling shit out and seeing, you know, seeing what works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think playing with artists that are also open to it is is really great. Right. And really important. I think it really shows that you you're caring about the process. Yeah, and it makes you just a, a valuable part of the 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 organization that you're in, and you want to be part of. I try to be. You know, I think uh, kind of knowing who you are as a person and letting that shine through your playing is kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I think me personally, like, I love having interactions with people, and I like being supportive. Yeah. So I put that into my drumming nice. as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't talk a lot about influences, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's important to talk about Bonham. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's important to talk about Bonham, period. Yeah, always. So when Bonham kind of came into your universe, uh-huh. what changed for you in your life in drumming and stuff like that? Um, well, I had heard very limited Led Zeppelin like up until college, like I think pretty much the only song I could remember was Stairway, Stairway to Heaven. And I was yeah. like, I hate this. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> um, and then, 
was my second year at Berkeley. My roommate gave me Houses of the Holy. And at this point, like, I was I was leaving school and I was just really down on music and I was about to quit. And just, like, putting that album in my ears and just the power. And I think his slinkiness, like, he just... Mm. I don't even, there's not enough amazing adjectives to talk about his playing. Yeah. It moved me deeply. Mm-hmm. And then I got the bottom tattoo on my chest, mm-hmm. just as kind of a reminder of why I choose to do music every day. Yeah. Um, and wanting to get back to that place of like being inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like by the time I got that album, I was just, I was done for. <laughs> And just, I, I play nothing like him. Like, he he already happened, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but his playing is, is magical. Yeah. And it, it moves me deeply. Um, and, yeah, I don't even, it's so overwhelming to, like, think about. But I think it's interesting. It's interesting you say, like, look, I don't play like him, but it, just what he does inspires me. Very much so. That's yeah. great. Yeah, it's like I I don't want to play like him, and I and I don't naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but I appreciate it on so many different levels because just the whole band in general, just the four of them coming together, this perfect mix of complementary talents mm-hmm. was just so beautiful. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's so many points in history, like, what if John never met Paul? You know, like, right. how did that, how, in what universe? And those four, and... It, you know, gosh, I just, yeah, I get excited, you know, talking about my, I wear my kids out. I'm like, mm-hmm. think about it. These four dudes, if they work together, <laughs> like every element has to be there. If you take one of those people away, it's not there. Yeah. It's not the same magic. Yeah. Zeppelin is a perfect example of that. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, he never got enough credit for just like what a sensitive player he was. Mm. Like he gets, you know, like like a powerhouse rock drummer, but he didn't hit hard. Right. You know, he was very, I feel like very sensitive to what he was doing. And I appreciated that. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, But in you hear, uh, I think again, I say this all the time, but you know, like players in that era and even before like Mitch Mitchell, the drummers they were listening to were not rock drummers. There weren't really, I mean, there were some pop rock drummers, you know, 50s and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, a lot of drummers in the late 60s, early 70s tapped into Hal Blaine and, and all the records that he was on. So I guess it, it's really hard to say, but there there wasn't the lineage of drummers that we have had the privilege of experiencing. Yeah. You know, um, so when you have somebody that, like Bonham, that we continue to be inspired by. Yeah. Um, and will inspire for generations. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Such a gift. Yeah. Such yeah. a massive gift. Yeah. Um, I'm getting lost here. <laughs> <laughs> Down the Led Zeppelin hole. <laughs> what brought you to Nashville? Um, I think, you know, after being in Southern California for 10 plus years, you know, and not making any money playing a lot, I was 
in anywhere from seven to 13 bands. I was playing a lot, but I wasn't making any money. Um, and then I met Marco Giovino because mm-hmm. um, he also did some time uh, in Saucy Monkey and we just kind of hit it off. And um, I, I was like, do you think I'd do okay in Nashville? And he was like, yeah, you should have moved here yesterday. Yeah. There's not enough female drummers in town. Yeah. You'll do great. Yeah. So within a year, moved to Nashville and uh, just dove right in. I wish I had moved here a long time ago. It's, it's a great town. This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at drumsellers.com. For any girl that is interested in drums but might be getting uh, pushback from her community, Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a story of inspiration to share for someone that might still be dealing or living with this outdated construct? Hmm. As simple as just do it if it's what you want to do. I feel very lucky that I had no concept that it was an issue or a thing Mm -hmm. for some people uh, that, you know, drums is like a masculine instrument. Mm -hmm. um, Until I went to school and realized, okay, there's not that many female drummers. I didn't think it was a thing. And it's, you know, honestly only a thing if you make it one. Yeah. You know, if, if you want to play drums, play drums. Right. Um, and one of my favorite things that happens, um, is, you know, if I'm in a place like Redneck Riviera or other venues where there can be kids there, or at least like outside watching is just that moment is so impactful where they can see women on stage doing it. Yeah. That's the seed that you want to plant like watching someone doing it and like normalizing it. Um, But, you know, fuck that. You know, if you want to play drums, play drums. Yeah, yeah. You see the reaction of young people. You see this this thing that people are like, wow, this is cool. Mm -hmm. You know, it because it still hasn't gotten to that place. Right. You know. It's still uh, not so common that people don't react to it, you know, like as a normal thing. It's a tricky thing because, I mean, I think that's like one of the beautiful things about side pieces, just like normalizing seeing women on stage. Yeah. And kind of like um, for me, myself, personally, I don't market myself as a female drummer. Mm-hmm. Like I just see myself as as a drummer. Yeah. That's like, you know, I'm sure I've gotten gigs and lost gigs because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. But first and foremost, I want to be judged on my drumming. Mm-hmm. That's what I want like the factor to be. Um, but I mean, I think the more women, like kids, like young girls see on stage, the less of an issue it's going to be. Just continue on. Just being like, it, oh, you're doing that. I can do that. Yep. Yeah. If you feel compelled to do something like play drums. It's such a beautiful instrument. I mean, I feel like it's so, uh, 
ingrained in all of us. Yes. Like, you know, when we're kids, we're just bashing on stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's primal. I think it's just part of everyone's DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if anyone is thinking about picking up the drums, I would highly recommend it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's why I'm a pretty calm person. It's exactly. like I get to hit things yes. and not get in trouble. Um, and it's just, it's so cathartic and it's yeah. fun. Yeah. Like it's so much fun. And, you know, if there's a young woman, a young man who is curious about drums or, you know, wants to play, I highly recommend it. I mean, it's, don't let what anyone else thinks about it stop you. Right, right. Because if you're feeling compelled in your heart and you feel inspired to do it, you know, you make the decision Yeah. if you're going to do it or not. Yeah, it makes life better. It's so much better. So do people think that you're pretty chill? Yeah. But you know inside you're not. I'm, I mean, I'm definitely a spaz. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a couple of people that see my spazzy side. Of you know, like I, I try to keep that pretty well self-contained um but i think music and the fact that drums is so physical is a big part of keeping me relatively calm yeah i hear you it's a good (laughs) outlet for a bunch of different emotions It it is there's a great simpsons episode where bart picks up drums and like he became becomes like the most chill best behaved version of bart simpson yeah you ever know (laughs) That's amazing. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, it's and, and they they do um, some White Stripes songs and stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like for the most part, like drummers are pretty chill. Yeah, you know? I mean, maybe for the with, most part. Yeah, Rich Redmond being I mean, the exception. I think that's like caffeine <laughs> induced. <laughs> I think that's his blood type. Yeah, his Starbucks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. It's great. Yeah, I wish I had like more of a impactful moment to share no. where like I had this like epiphany. Yeah. It just never really occurred to me that I couldn't do it because I'm a girl or a woman. It just never yeah. struck me as a limitation. I think that's where we're at. I think that's a good test because you don't need you didn't need some sort of epiphany. You're like, hey, I think I want to play drums. Boom. Yeah. It was as simple as that. Yeah. And this is where we're at. Versus my mom's generation yep. would have been impossible yeah. or just really difficult. Yeah. And I love that that's changing. Yes. And I want to encourage that to change even more. Yeah. Problem solved. Check. No. <laughs> Done. No. Right. Uh, so I, I think the takeaway is we're moving in the right direction and things are changing and it's awesome. Yeah. But we're not there. Not there. Let's, not there. you know, continue the conversation. Yeah. The yeah. And beyond drumming, and uh, yeah, yeah, just people need to keep talking to each other. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like we are now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, looking ahead, mm-hmm. like years down the road, where do you see yourself? Where do you want to see yourself years down the road? And is there anything that you're doing now to kind of make those goals um, happen? <clears throat> I mean, obviously, the big goal is to still be playing. 
Um, I feel very lucky right now that everybody that I'm playing with, I love the music. Yeah. And I love the people. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding that's pretty rare for a lot of hired guns. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's just continuing and doing that and getting to bigger stages, mm-hmm. playing with more people, um, just still doing the thing. Yeah. You know? I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Right. I don't want to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's just, you know, continuing to grow with the opportunities, yeah. hopefully. It, and is there anything that you're maybe conscious of or aware of that when you're doing these gigs, you're like, okay, this is good. Um, as I continue to grow, I want to make sure that this gets better. Or... Yeah. I mean, when I'm not gigging, I'm practicing. Okay. Like the work never stops. Sure. If even if I'm not learning material for someone, there's always an opportunity to grow. So making sure practice is a big part of my regimen, mm-hmm. um, and continuing with that. And, and what do you do when you're practicing? A lot of the time, like right now, my biggest focus is on time. It's mm-hmm. just like my internal clock, like because that's what I give a shit about. You yeah. know. Being flashy and a lot of fills really isn't my thing, but I'm starting to not be so stubborn about that and to try and figure out how to implement more of that style in my playing because people like it. And it's, it's a really great point, yeah. It's it's a, it's a cool tool to have and yep. pull out and then put away when I don't want to use mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, just focusing on what I think are kind of weak points in mm-hmm. my playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just still continuing to grow as a musician and learn. Right. And learn as much as possible. Yeah. So uh, I know that when you're playing with different people, there is there there's list of songs for an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, 10, 15 songs, maybe. Uh, when you're playing with a band like Sidepiece, you're playing three hours. Uh-huh. And you may be playing cover songs that people will request, and you've got to know thousands of songs. <laughs> or you don't, and you just pull it out of your ass. Right. Which is what we do the majority of the time. Like, cool. if one person kind of knows the song on yeah. stage, we'll do it. Yeah. And it's such a great way to stretch Yes. And use your ears and and to watch. Yeah. So for me, that's been like a, a really great learning experience and challenge. You know, you're having an active conversation with multiple people, so you have to be flexible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's been a great skill set to kind of uh, develop downtown. One last question. Mm-hmm. Is there like a common compliment about your playing? that you've heard a lot over the years? Um, Something that, like a word that reoccurs. It's usually feel. Yeah. And I think that kind of has to go with being willing to follow Mm -hmm. to an extent, just being a little bit flexible or or firm when I need to be. It's learning how to know when that's appropriate. So how, how would one know? Like when to... Go with the flow or keep it locked I think, in? I think it depends on the artist. Um, 
because there's definitely some artists that I play with where I'm like, I have a very tight grip on the reins. I'm not going to give you much wiggle room because mm-hmm. we're going to get into a space where the tempo feels uncomfortable or we're going to go off the rails. Mm-hmm. Or like if you play with a songwriter that has done majority of the shows by themselves, they're kind of on their own right. sort of tempo. So you need to follow because mm-hmm. they will fight you and then it's just disastrous right so it's knowing who you're playing for and what they want from yeah. you yeah what they expect there's a reoccurring theme i feel like coming from you where you're like it's not about you there's there's music to be made and mm-hmm. you need to get out of the way and um how do we make that happen right and um it I mean, so many of the things you said, being present, like, okay, what's happening today? You know, am I playing? Are we playing to the click? I'm playing. Hey, man, I'm grooving to the click. That's not important right now. What's important right now is this person I'm playing with has their own sense of time. And how do we make the the best music from the situation? What kind of dynamics work well in this room? Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm not killing the bass player's ears, you know, right. I think that's so, I mean, it's so great. It's so important. Like I was saying before, I mean, I think we get so wrapped up in our drummer world that we have an opportunity to make music. We have an opportunity to play this beautiful instrument mm-hmm. and do it in such a dynamic way that I think makes music fun, interesting the residual is you employable. Right. You know, and definitely people want to be there. Yeah. And I think they're not only aware of the musicianship that you bring to the table, mm-hmm. but the fact that you're cognizant of that says a lot about who you are as a person. And then they're like, well, that's an important factor too when you're hanging out, when you're traveling. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, only one hour essentially out of the day you're playing music and the other 23 like you just have to be easygoing you have to be a good person to want to be around yeah like don't don't be a dick (laughs) yeah um but i think you know the reason why i've been able to play as much as i have been able to play in this town is assuming that supportive role yeah you know drums is a loud instrument yeah. It's it takes up a lot of space physically and sonically. Yeah. Um but you know, we wouldn't be there if it weren't for the other people on stage. Yeah. So yeah. it's making it just trying to be as complimentary as possible. Yeah. And then the other thing that I think is really cool because this has been a a subject that we've touched upon a little bit here and there is is being able to introduce the flash from time to time mm-hmm. making time and feel the number one priority yeah but i got so caught up into that that there was like i needed just at least a little bit of flash it's like come on man when you see a drummer doing that maybe in a part of a song or whatever and right. you see the reaction from the crowd you're like oh yeah we're entertainers totally yeah i mean i feel like I can get away with doing less and still being flashy because of my hair. I feel like... <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. I totally get you. I'm just, just working the hair hard. Um, but no, I mean, I feel like because I've fought it for so long, 
um, I know how important it is to start implementing it in my playing in, in the appropriate moment, showcase that, and then put it away. Even though it's not, it's not the thing that like turns me on about drumming. Yeah. You know, it's, it's remembering that, you know, the general listener, they, they hear what they see sometimes. Oh yeah. And you know, if they see you scowling or just Mm -hmm. like a Mm -hmm. lump on stage, they're not going to be inspired or moved at all. So, you know, give them a little, little razzmatazz or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate this. I appreciate this too. Yeah. Thanks for talking. And thank you for having me. I I love this podcast. I think it's extremely helpful. I agree with you (laughs) (laughs) because it's it's helpful to me, and and uh, I appreciate that reinforcement. uh, And we have a blast doing it, and it's been good. That's great. Keep doing it. It it is needed. It is much needed. All right. Thank you, Megan, for uh, hanging out and talking about things that's happening with you in Nashville. And uh, thanks for being such a fan of the podcast. When I uh, reached out to Megan, I said, I don't know if you've heard of us, uh, but um, you've been recommended to be on the show. And I've been following you here and there and would love to have you as a guest. And she said she was a fan. And and that's just that's nice to to hear that little bit of validation. There's been a reoccurring theme amongst people that I meet for the first time through the podcast, and they always say, man, we just, we love the service that you provide. It seems to be kind of the the words that are reoccurring. Using that as a jumping off point, um, uh, the time that we do the interview, to the editing, to the processing, to uh, all the things that we do to get each episode out, they take about six to eight hours. So using that as an idea if, if you value what we provide um this service here um there there's patreon that we have even a dollar a month is helpful in covering our expenses patreon.com slash working drummer and that is where you can show your gratitude and we are always finding new ways to uh, show our gratitude to those who are already members We have a new video about snare tuning on its way from drum tech extraordinaire John Hall. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview next week, and um, keep on listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.